You are now listening to the Ramble On podcast. Welcome, Ramblers, to another edition of the Ramble On Podcast. Uh, with me, as always, is Alex Dagelman. I'm here. And this is episode eight of the Ramble On Podcast. Uh, this is going to be over chapters three and four of book two of The Fellowship of the Ring. It gets a little bit complicated, but... Follow, follow along if you can. We're all here. Chapter three is called The Ring Goes South. So... We just left off uh, with the Council of Elrond, right? And Frodo had just offered to take the ring, which uh, I think we had talked about in the last episode, but it was basically the last thing he actually wanted to do, but yeah. he, knew, he felt compelled like he had this you know, duty almost, like he was the one that, as if he was destined to... to bear the ring that's kind of what he felt that's right um, but he didn't want to he obviously wanted to stay in um rivendell with bilbo and basically chill out um and so far sam is the only other one that's offered to go with him that's yep. all we have so far frodo and sam it's them two and we don't really have anything else um at the beginning of the chapter you get to see mary and pippin who are upset that sam was chosen to go and that um they're not able to go with them. <clears throat> and uh, I thought it was funny that they actually... So I didn't think this quote would actually be from the book, but uh, Pippin actually says that there must be someone of intelligence, with intelligence in the party. And I didn't think that would be a quote that they would I didn't either. pull from the book, but they and did. And it made me mm-hmm. smile to myself. I, sm- I, I did smile as well. Um, so they're kind of upset uh they they want to go on this mission with frodo they feel like uh they're kind of a team at this point and they're upset that sam can go and they can't um elrond has sent out some uh some scouts to kind of scout the surrounding areas he sends them kind of all over the place i think north south east and west right. they're looking for i think mainly they're looking for the, the black riders yep. exactly um as we know they were wiped out in the flood, um, but I think Gandalf actually explains in a little bit to one of the hobbits that it's not that simple. They didn't kill them. Right. Um, they probably killed most of the horses or took the horses out, um, and so they probably are kind of uh, hindered at this moment. They can't get a lot done, and they might be slow moving, but the idea is they'll probably go back to Mordor and kind of regroup there. Um, <clears throat> and... Yeah, actually, the next thing that Gandalf talks about is the fact that you uh, can't destroy the ring race like that. Um, he says the power of their master is in them, their master being Sauron, and they stand or fall by him. Uh, we hope that they were all unhorsed and unmasked, and so for a while made less dangerous. Um, so basically he's saying they're tied directly to Sauron and the ring. So as long as the ring and as long as Sauron is still powerful, you know they're still going to be kicking around. Um, let's see. Bilbo, uh, seems to be pretty optimistic about this journey. Um, he's talking about how he wants to, uh, 
writes the second part of his book or whatever based on Frodo's journeys. And he says, books ought to have good endings. Like, you know, they all lived happily ever ever, uh, ever after. But Frodo is... Frodo's like, I don't see Frodo's that Frodo's a little more pessimistic. He's not exactly sure what's going to happen. <clears throat> um, but uh, it comes out kind of in this conversation that they're going to be in Rivendell for a little while. Right? Yeah. It's not going to be an immediately... Uh, an immediate uh, leaving One of, of the Rivendell. first of many of these chapters differences from the film, yeah. which is they spend two months in Rivendell before, yeah. they, before they set out. It's like mid-December or something by the time they leave. Yeah. <clears throat> um, there was also uh, one thing, I don't know if it's important or not, I don't know if you even noticed, uh, but I underlined it. Uh, it's talking about Frodo, I think, looking out uh, into the sky or something, um, and it's talking about the moon covering up some of the lesser stars because it was so bright. It says, uh, but low in the south, one star shone red. Every night as the moon uh, waned again, it shone brighter and brighter. Frodo could see it from his window deep in the heavens, burning like a watchful eye that glared above the trees on the brink of the valley. Did you? Oh, did you? I didn't even... That didn't even stand out to me. It stood out to me, and just because I didn't know what they were talking about, and it didn't go into any more detail anywhere else in the chapter, so I didn't know what that was. I mean, it sounds like Mars or something, but I don't... I mean, that would be in our sky, obviously. It's low in the south. It's not the eye of I don't wrong. know. I don't think so. There's no way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, that just stood out to me. I don't know what that is. Um, maybe It doesn't... Like I said, bring it doesn't bring it up in uh, in the chapter again. So maybe it's just maybe it's just introducing the concept of the watchful eyes. Maybe maybe a little imagery there. Mm -hmm. Um, So so like we said, uh, the two months uh, that they spent in Rivendell, um, basically trying to recover from their journey, their previous journey to Rivendell, and waiting for the scouts to right. So two months later, the scouts. Uh, begin to return. Um, basically, there's no sightings of the Black Riders anywhere. And in fact, they haven't found many of Sauron's spies or creatures or anything. They were also looking for Gollum. Yeah, and uh, another weird little thing uh, that I don't know if it's going to talk about later, but uh, Elrond's sons went out scouting. Oh, uh, I know exactly what you're about to bring yeah, up. Yeah, and they uh, and they come back, uh, and it says that they at last returned, and they made uh, this journey passing down the Silver Lode, which is a river that runs between Moria and Lothlorien, apparently. Okay. So they had been in this area, um, and uh, it says, but their errand, uh, but of their errand, they would not speak to any save to Elrond. Right. I did make note of that. That didn't. I didn't understand what they were talking about. Um, obviously, that area is where in the film the fellowship goes from Moria to right. Moria. So right. it seems like there's something there that I don't know. They discovered. I don't know if we're ever going to hear about it, but we'll see. That was just something that stood out to me. Um, did you have any possible ideas for that, or is it just something random that you also? Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even try to think about it too hard. I just yeah. thought it was interesting. I probably should have thought about possibilities oh well maybe they're i wonder if they went to lothlorien maybe maybe they spoke with collateral i don't know um so basically uh based on all of the uh based on all of these scouts that come back they're saying this is the time to go right there seems to be a clearing and for whatever reason there's not uh the ring race run around you know they can't find any of the enemy's spies so they're thinking this is probably the time to go. Um, although, 
Elrond says that he he's not going to be much help. Um, he does have the gift of foresight, so he can, I guess, kind of see into the future. I don't know exactly how it works. Me neither. Um, but he says that there's the, I guess, the shadow of the enemy is moving further west, and under this shadow, he, he says can't, he can't right. see. He kind of loses his right. His power is uh, gone. He says, under the shadow, all is dark to me. So he really can't be much help to, to Frodo. He can't tell them exactly what's going on. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting is, and I don't, I feel stupid for never having made this connection before, uh, but he says, the company of the ring shall be nine, and the nine walkers shall set against the nine riders that are evil. I never even considered the fact that there was nine ring race and nine... Well, I never did either because it seems pointless. Like, what's the purpose? Right, it's not like they would, like... You know, each yeah. attack each other, and they in even say combat. multiple. They say multiple times in this chapter <clears throat> that they're not planning on their their uh, method of their journey is secrecy. Mm -hmm. They're not planning on getting in any skirmishes. Right. They pack so really I, late, but I wrote down in my notes why did Elrond want nine? I think it was more of like a the aesthetic the choice, an aesthetic choice, just I guess. like. Oh, like, that seems poetic. Nine against nine. I don't know. That's the only explanation I can think of because he doesn't really care that much who the nine are. Yeah, that he just lets on two random hobbits. Yeah. And it's like, oh, sure, why not? Right. Gandalf uh, has to convince him, though. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, also, he talks about... Uh, he says, with you... This is Elrond talking, um, talking to Frodo. And he says, with you your and your faithful servant, which is Sam... Gandalf will go, for this shall be his great task, and maybe the end yeah. of his labors. Um, I read which, that sentence a few times. Yeah, which made me which made me think, uh, but it actually makes sense if you think about it, because Gandalf was sent uh, to Middle-earth basically to help to defeat Sauron. So that's kind of his task in his life cycle. I mean, he's thousands right. of years old. So if he succeeds in this task of destroying the ring, his... I mean, the whole reason he was sent to Middle Earth will be complete. So right. that's like his his last final kind of task. So that I mean, that actually makes sense. If, um, the yeah, more I thought I've, about it, I thought the same thing. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, and then this is still Elrond talking, but he's also uh, specifies that all the free people of Middle Earth are represented. Right. So he has Gimli, and this is where he's kind of listing off the other people who will be in the Fellowship. So, yeah. uh, which they still haven't called it the Fellowship. It's I don't the think company. They, I don't think they ever do. They always call it the Company. Yeah, which is weird, but right, we'll see. It is weird. Yeah. Um, and I'll say why I think it's weird when we get a little further. Okay, we'll wait for that. Um, so he says Gimli will be there, obviously representing dwarves, uh, Legolas, and then Aragorn and Boromir will accompany them, but. Uh, as they note here, Aragorn and Bormir are headed to Minas Tirith, and the only reason right. they're going with them is because they're going along the same route for a while. Right. Which I think is... I don't think they ever say that. I don't think they ever specify that in they, the film. They didn't. The whole idea was all these people are going to help Frodo. Yeah. And it's so it's so different. Cause yeah. Because Elrond's like... You guys don't have to do this, by the way. You can leave whenever you want. There's no. Uh, this is what I wanted to say. Why it's weird that, or okay. why why I think they're not calling it the Fellowship because, because there's no oath. There's no swearing. oath that they take. Right. Yeah. I actually I, I did make a note of that. When did Elrond like makes it? it super specific? He makes a very specific point that yeah. you're not bound to Frodo's. I'm journey. sure. Did, I'm not. 
Did I already miss that? No, no, I wanted it hasn't, to talk about it. Hasn't it hasn't happened yet. Okay. okay, I did want to note that, but uh, so back to the Aragorn and Boromir thing. So they're headed to Minas Um Frodo's talking to Aragorn, uh, and Aragorn says, uh, "The sword that was broken shall be reforged, uh, ere I sent out to war." Um, but your road and our road lie together for many hundreds of miles. Therefore, Boromir will also be in the company. He is a valiant man. So, I don't know. I'm still struggling with this character arc for I literally Aragorn. wrote Aragorn's character arc, and then it's flat line. <laughs> right. There's no... <laughs> I was... There's no heart This is it. the first... This is the first time, and I had, to, I had to actually think hard if this was my true feeling while I was reading this. I was... I'm really disappointed in this. I am too. I'm very disappointed. I think uh, Peter Jackson did a lot of good things, and so far, I mean, maybe it'll change, but it looks like Aragorn's story arc is way... is handled so much better Yeah, I agree. Films. Maybe it's um, just better for a shorter... But maybe. even even Elrond's character arc is tied into, uh, yeah. into this sword when he... I'm just gonna go hit, skip to the Return of the King sure. really quick. Why not? Yeah, I'm going. Yeah. I'm going all Do out it. this episode. No, I actually. I mean, I'm uh, t- I t- I have a note about the Return of the King because because that is whenever he brings out uh, the reforged Narzil right. uh, and Andril. Yes, and so that's a huge moment. It's a huge moment for both of them. Exactly because uh, the whole idea of Aragorn and uh, Arwen. Right, and he's kind of accepting Aragorn and like giving him this almost like, you know, uh, a challenge to step up to, and right. Aragorn steps up to it and accepts the challenge, right. and it's like, there's so much going on there. And, and Elrond, like, this man who's been alive for thousands and thousands of years, it has this, like, enough, I guess it's tied in with Arwen's decisions as well. See, all this, this entire st- plot line yeah. of the sword ties into so many different characters Seriously. and how they develop, but he... He sees Aragorn and associates him with like this new hope that he has for for at for least the kingdom of, of yeah, yeah and Middle Earth in general because yeah. his, as far up until that point as far as he was concerned it it was over he right. didn't he and didn't so, have any hope and so therefore his daughter was doomed right that's how he felt I'm sure so at at this point in the story because on this same exact page they they go into detail about uh about narzo being reforged yeah they reforge it and give and it to him it, and that's yeah. it it's like there's no significance to it because the sword is so symbolic to like we were just saying i know i mean i'm not gonna rehash all that but it's so symbolic to so many different character arcs so I'm that's upset. a little bit disappointing i'm upset um, tolkien i i mean you know what you're doing and i'm gonna trust you but for right now i i have a hard time accepting this um, but it is what it is. Um, Narzil is reforged, uh, and Aragorn gets it, and it's almost more like, oh, Aragorn's going to war, so he needs a sword. Here, get him a sword. That's exactly. That's no, all. That's all. Yeah. That's all the weight it, that it that's carries all the as of now. Well, um, you know, we can't talk forever about that, so we just got to go ahead and move on. Uh, like we said before, uh, they had two spots left, and Elrond's like, oh, who are we gonna get? And then Pippin and Mary are basically like, you know, free agents. Do let's let's do this. We want to be on the team. And then Elrond is like, all right, I guess so. And it says he sighed, and he's like, I guess I'll just let you be on the team. Yeah. Um, and then it says in seven days the company must depart. So they've got a deadline now. <laughs> Again, they're the company. They're not the, they're the not fellowship. fellowship. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let me make sure I'm not missing anything. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of notes about the sword. 
we kind of hashed all that out. Um, instead of representing, you know, his lineage and his rightful place as king, his acceptance of all of that, it's just a sword. So, moving on. Uh, oh yes, Bilbo also uh, gives Frodo Sting, which also he says is broken somehow. Did you? No, 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 no. He's talking about Frodo's original sword that he had. Oh, the one that thank broke. you. Yeah, that I, makes I had, more to re sense. I had to reread that a few times. I thought I read it too, and I was like, oh, I yeah. guess it's broken somehow. Uh, so, yeah, he's he goes, here's your sword, but it was broken. Um, so I thought perhaps you would care to have oh. this. So he, he's there we go. giving him a different object. Okay, so good. Okay, don't have to worry about that anymore. So he gets Sting, which is not broken. Um, he also gives him uh, the Mithril... Uh, male, right? Which he male. never he never actually tells him that it's Mithril. Does he not? He doesn't. Okay. Uh, they talk about Mithril in the next chapter, right? In some detail, uh, and at that point, Frodo still has it, so he doesn't know what he's getting at this point, right? He just thinks like, oh, I I think I'll look weird in this, <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, maybe. Uh, and so Bilbo's like, don't worry, just put it underneath your shirt; it'll be fine. So Frodo gets Sting. Uh, he gets the Mithril, which is, you know, they're both important parts of the story. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I'm not missing anything. Uh, Bilbo sings a little song. Yeah. Which isn't super significant. I think it is. Well, okay. Then um, please. So, <laughs> <laughs> all of Bilbo's previous songs are, um, like very rich in history or um kind of play into like his experiences okay this one i think is the most personal to mm. him uh i think it explains where his character is right now okay. he's talking about his he's basically summarizing his previous journeys and then he's also looking ahead and kind of realizing that his, it seems like, uh, I wrote, what did I write? Uh, it seems like he's preparing for the end, is what mm. I wrote in my notes. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of about all the things he's seen, but also all the things he hasn't he, done. And he knows he's not going to see yeah. in the future. That's good, that's uh, good. I'm glad And there's he, a couple other yeah. things in this chapter where you kind of get the feeling like he he knows he's, he's nearing the of, end. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's good. Um, so, they're getting ready to leave Rivendell, um... As Elrond has counseled, they're mostly going to move at night, right? They don't want to be seen. Right. Um, so they're going to try to move as possible, uh, as much as possible at night, of just basically rest during the day. That's the plan for leaving Rivendell so they can go unseen. Um, they also talk about Bill the Pony, uh, which now they actually clarify. They have decided to call him... Sam named him Bill. Bill, yeah. So Sam and Bill are, are tight, and they continue to be close until... Sadly, Bill has to leave a little bit later. Um, so Bill's gonna Bill's gonna accompany them as far as he can uh, on this on this trip. Um, <clears throat> he also apparently looks way better. Yeah, he's all like you know, shiny and nice looking for he's, his time. In out Rondell. of the entire fellowship or company, I guess I'll call it. Yes. Uh, he he looks the best, I think, and the most optimistic. I think they say. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. Based this now it's the it's their time to leave. The company is about to leave uh, Rivendell, and one thing that I wanted to note from this kind of portion is uh, a sentence that says Aragorn sat with his head bowed to his knees. Only Elrond knew fully what this hour meant to him. Um, the others could be seen as gray shapes in the darkness. So it does kind of point Aragorn out um, specifically as they're leaving. 
um, as they're leaving Rivendell. And I didn't really know hmm. if that was signifying Aragorn leaving Arwen or if it was this a part of this big journey for Aragorn that of him you know accepting his kingship or all of the above probably all of the above um, but again it's just like one sentence it seems kind of like a throwaway and like Elrond I guess is the only one it says that knows what's going on but hmm. I don't know so they do kind of push a little bit the significance of this for Aragorn but not yeah. as much as I'd like obviously same uh, so they're packing up. Um, I thought it was funny that Sam was thinking through all the things he was supposed to pack before he left. I thought so too. He and, wanted, uh, he was, <laughs> he, he packed a bunch of little things that Frodo, he thought Frodo forgot yes. so that when the time came, he could, he pull, could out. pull it out and be the, the hero mm-hmm. of the moment. Um, so I thought that was funny. I thought that was funny too. And, uh, and he forgets rope. There's he no He forgets rope. rope. That may come into play later. I'm pointing at the beers down there. Oh. Thank you. I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no rope. It's, that seems like a little bit of foreshadowing to me. Um, okay, so... Okay, so this is where they're talking about... This is where Elrond talks about the fact that they're not bound by any oath. Right. Um, and I thought it was a little bit weird. Uh, I mean, he kind of... Elrond explains that you don't... These people don't really know what they're getting themselves into. Right. So uh, I think... I actually wrote down the... Um, but let him not vow to walk in the dark who has not seen the night. I wrote it down too, and but I wrote it down for a different reason. Okay. Um. But yeah, he's basically saying okay. So he says the further you go, the less easy it will be to withdraw. Yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. Um. He's basically he basically doesn't want them to swear to something because they, like you said, they don't know what they're getting themselves yeah. into. Um. I wrote it down because I think. Um. Uh, it's, I thought, okay, so I was thinking deeper into it sure. about Tolkien's mindset when he's running it. Elrond's obviously super wise. Right. That's like but the, he has his limitations. Right. But so far this is like, I've, I've thought, because Gimli says, <laughs> faithless is he that's, Gimli wa- Gimli's kind of yeah. questioning like, Gimli's I think like, this should be. Let's swear an oath. Yeah. Uh, so he says, faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's right, Gimli. But then Elrond's like, uh Maybe, uh, but let him not vow to walk in the dark who has not seen the nightfall. Yeah. I was like, oh, Elrond's so that's wise. A good, that's and a I was good like, line. how do you write wisdom? You have to be, you have wise, to be wise yourself. Yeah. Unless he, you're just so good of an author that you can write something better than what you are, there's I guess. No, no that's, there's no um, way. Obviously. Yeah. All the wisdom that comes from Elrond and from Gandalf and everybody, that's all it's from all Tolkien. It's all in Tolkien. Yeah. What a guy. He's that wise. Um... So, yeah, there's, so there's no oath, which seems a little weird, but, I mean, he's kind of like, you know, as Elrond is saying, you know, if you come back or if you turn aside or go down different paths, if chance allows, which does actually end up happening, um, <clears throat> he's kind of saying, you know, don't be too hesitant to, to do something. I guess, now that I'm thinking about it, it, since we do know what happens in the future, it probably makes that decision a lot. Yeah. That is a tough decision that yeah. they have to make. Splitting further on yeah the, yeah uh so i guess maybe it does come in handy <clears throat> okay so they leave rivendell right uh there's no songs there's no nothing it's kind of a sad affair uh they're heading out and they start to head southwards so if you want to consult your maps of northern middle earth which i did many times while reading there's uh so the misty mountains kind of cuts right through the center 
uh, separating East and West right. Middle Earth. Running running north and south. Correct. Right, running north and south. Uh, Rivendell is on the western border of these mountains, kind of right up against the mountains. Right. And so they're going to travel south down the western edge of these mountains, and they're heading for a pass, uh, the Redhorn Pass. Right. That's their plan. Um, I, th- I guess that's the easiest place to cross over. There's some kind of break in the mountains that they can get through. Um, so that's their plan right now. They're they're heading south <clears throat> to make for this uh, for this pass. Um, Dimril Dell. Why did I write that down? That so that's the Dimril Dell is I guess another name for that area, or if that's I think on the other side. Of I the think pass. it's on the other side. Okay, so on the eastern side of the Misty Mountains. Right. Um, there's the Dimril Dell, which is where they're uh, also, which is where they're. That's heading. the way I understood it. Uh, that yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's what's going on. Um, they threw in a lot of landmarks they in did. one paragraph. Yeah, <laughs> the, I had to reread that paragraph yeah. a few times to make sure I knew what was yeah. going on. Um, Gandalf also notes that there uh, some elves used to live in this area, which I think we'll probably get into a little bit later when we're talking about the Moria. I'll, I'll get into it a elf, little bit. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so elves used to live in this area a long time ago. Uh, but Leg- I think Legolas notes that they left for the for the Undying Lands a long time ago. They kind of abandoned Middle Earth. Yes, which most elves have. There's like you know, there's very few strongholds of elves left in, in Middle Earth. Uh, at this time, this is when the the famous Kerbine from Dunlin scene happens. Um, so, kind of different from the film. Uh, Sam and Aragorn are. Uh, are actually on uh, guard duty, I guess, at this point. And they see this, you know, these uh, flock of birds coming over. And er- I think Aragorn says they're either from Fangorn or from Dunland. Right. I don't actually know where Dunland is. I'm assuming it's close to Fangorn. I don't know either, I never actually. Looked that up. I wonder if it's... Uh, keep going. I'm going to okay. look at my map. Uh, so they, you know, everyone else is asleep at this point because they sleep during the day and travel during night. So Aragorn and Sam kind of jump down and... Uh, they pass over, similar to the way that happened in the film. Uh, but then basically Aragorn says that Holland, Holland is this area that they're in right now, um, is it's not really safe for them. You know, there's a bunch of spies out, but they're going to have to right. really, really be careful. This Aragorn the, has, a, like, a really weird feeling. Yeah, this is the first time that they've encountered any, uh, you know, spies of the enemy. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, while we're paused, sure. uh, looking at my map, Fangorn, so the Misty Mountains running north and south, Fangorn on the east, Dunland is directly west on the other side of the mountains. Okay, is just it the, a just wooded a, area? Or no, is it, it's just okay. a plains area just okay. north just north of Isengard. Okay. I also saw the Dimril Dale on here, which we are correct, it's on the, uh, east, the east side, side of, of the mountain. Yes. Okay. Uh, something kind of funny that I just wanted to point out, not that it's super important to the, uh, to the story, but Sam thought, Sam is all... He he has no idea the the uh, the amount of distance. Oh, I know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he he's he's talking. He's like, man, I really thought we'd uh, be to this <laughs> fiery mountain by now. Yeah. He's like, Sam, so Sam thought that the Redhorn Pass he thought was, that was Mount, Mount Doom. Doom. He, he still has no idea. <laughs> he's like, oh man, I I thought we were you know gonna see it pretty soon. Yeah. Um, Sam, you're way off, buddy. Um, 
I think Gandalf even makes fun of the hobbits at one point. Like, did y'all not look at any of the maps? That, yeah. <laughs> that he said basically maps are lost on Sam. Yeah, which is obviously true. Um, so at this point, the the company of the ring uh, is still making for Redhorn Pass. They have to be careful because there are these flocks of birds around that are probably spies for the enemy, they assume. Uh, but they're still making their way that direction. Uh, at this point, Gandalf and Aragorn have a conversation about, this is the first time they br bring up the idea of going through Moria. Um, and I don't think they actually name it at this point. They don't say the word Moria. They don't. They've but, been but they've been having a lot of these like little private conversations. Yeah. Um, so those are the two that are, for the most part, deciding where they're going. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so they're kind of discussing it. There's There's different options. And one of their fears about going through the Redhorn Pass is that the there's the weather is terrible, right? Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of snow coming down, which is unusual for this time of year at this, uh, you know, at it's, this area, this far right. south. And it is winter, but it's yeah, they are getting further south, and so it shouldn't be that bad. But it's, yeah, it's way terrible. worse than it should be. Um, so so Gandalf says, uh, but there's another way, and not by the pass of Caradhras, uh, the dark and secret way. That we have spoken of um and frodo actually overhears this and he doesn't know exactly what they're talking about but he's kind of scared of right. this dark and secret passage um let me make sure uh i'm not missing anything okay so then they come so aragorn and and uh gandalf decide that they're gonna brave the weather of the pass that's gonna be the way they're going um and uh, so that night they end up getting their basically starting to climb up these mountains. They're kind of in the, you know, the foothills of these of these mountains. Right. Uh, it says there's uh, sheer walls of uh, cliffs on the left, and then it kind of falls off into a, a gulf of darkness where the land suddenly uh, fell into a deep ravine. So it's kind of uh, slow going at this point. It's, it's not easy. They're not just kind of like walking yeah. over pastures or whatever. Uh, and it starts to snow, which, like we said before, is a little bit unusual for this uh you know type of for this time of year in the area where they are um, and then really quickly it's basically turns into a blizzard yeah um Bormir is the first i think to ask if this is something that uh the enemy has brought upon them uh he seems to think that this is not just any you know snowstorm he seems to think that it could be brought on by the enemy um and they I think they specify that it's Sauron. They, they're not talking about Saruman at this point. Right. And in and fact, I, Saruman is not brought up in any of not, this. Which, in the film, as we all know, Saruman is the one who is bringing this storm down upon them. Yeah. Uh, and they do... So they hear some, they some hear noises. Noises. Uh, and a fell voice on the air. I think it literally says does that. Does it say that? Word for word. Uh, they heard no, eerie no, noises no. in the darkness around them. Uh, it may have been only a trick of the wind and the cracks and gullies. But they heard shrill cries and wild howls of laughter. Yeah. So I, I was thinking Saruman. Right. I, I don't know about you. That's what I first thought because obviously having seen the film, that's what happens. Yeah. And so then the same thing happens. Stones start to come down right. the mountainside and they're almost crushed basically. Um, and so it seems like this is targeted at them. Uh, there's great boulders kind of coming down from heights above. Um, but, uh, let's see, Aragorn says, um, that, uh, there are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have uh, little love for those that go on two legs, um, and yet are not in league with Sauron, but have purposes of their own. Uh, some have been in this world longer than he. Yeah. Um, so basically they're kind of bringing up the idea that there's some kind of malicious 
spirit of the spirit mountain. or something of the mountain right. that's uh, against them. Um, and I think further on, they, they end up pretty much confirming that. Um, kind of. I mean, they agree. Not for sure. They agree that that's what it is, but I still have a feeling like maybe Sauron had it had a hand in it. But it's possible. It unlike the film, like Gandalf is not like shouting back yeah. and like trying to ward off the storm. Yeah, like have a yell <clears throat> battle right. with. But Gandalf even says it matters little who the enemy is. Right. Uh, if we, we cannot can't... beat off his attack. Exactly. Um, I so... feel like this was another because um, we've seen like the liberties that the filmmakers made in trying to kind of pull back on some of the mysticism like yeah. animals talking a mountain having spirit a spirit for instance yeah. that's it seems like the having Saruman control that is kind of like a an easier thing for an audience to digest than the mountain being against yeah them. it makes way more sense yeah uh it it's a i feel like it's a point in the story where why would you introduce an evil mountain doesn't really in in as far as a two hour film yeah two and a half hour whatever right it doesn't make sense to introduce some evil mountain that doesn't actually matter in the long run it's a better idea to have one of the antagonists you know controlling this directly to you know further increases evilness right so it makes sense um, but basically uh, at this point they they think the mountain might just be evil and doesn't want them to pass um, and so they kind of have to stop. They have a little bit of shelter right here. They stop for the night. They can't turn back right now. The snow's too deep. Um, they can't go forward. They'll get crushed by these rocks. Um, they specify that they're going to go through some area where there's no cover and they could easily get smashed. Right. So they're kind of stuck for the moment. Um, they also, I don't know if you made a note of this, but Frodo has a little kind of quasi-dream here. Yeah, I, I'm... I'm thought about it and it's basically he just yeah he kind of just almost dozes off essentially and has this little kind of dream about returning back to going straight back to rivendell and bilbo's like well why did you come back to report that you don't have any good stories for me yeah um and then he wakes up to boromir who at this point is a pretty nice guy yeah he seems pretty nice boromir's lifting lifting him out of the snow to to try to keep him warm essentially so um, Bormir says this will be the death of the halfling Gandalf. We, you know, we have to do something. Um, so I think he says something very similar in the film. Yeah, I think so. We're not quite there yet. We got the movie running in the background, as always. Um, but uh, so yeah, there, there's nothing for it. They're they're stuck here for the moment. Um, oh, also, I, I don't know if this is important either, but Gandalf has that weird juice, yeah. elf juice. I I only. Uh, mentioned, I only took note of it because it come it bring rears its head a few more times. Yeah, there's basically a, like three different times throughout these two chapters where they're down on their spirits, and Gandalf passes around this little flask of some kind of elf juice that kind of perks them up, gets them going. Um, <clears throat> Gandalf also has so they they brought firewood with them just in case he needed to build a fire. Right. They they're trying to make this fire in this mountain pass where they're, you know, stuck for the moment. No one can get the fire started. So Gandalf uses some of his fire magic to start this fire. Um, and then he says something that I think is pretty interesting. Um, he says if there are any to see, then I at least am revealed to them. Uh, I have written Gandalf is here in signs that all can read from Rivendell to the mounds of Anduin. Right. So there he's, uh, I mean, we've talked about this before about how Gandalf doesn't want to reveal his full power. Right. Um, 
And you can tell from this right here that part of that is because the enemy, I don't think, is aware of how powerful Gandalf is. And he likes it that way. He doesn't right. want uh, Sauron or, I mean, Saruman knows for the most part how powerful he is. But he doesn't want Sauron knowing how powerful he is because then I think he would be more of a target. Um, so he likes to keep a low profile. <clears throat> So they get the fire started, it stops snowing, they decide to turn back. Um, basically, like we said before, they can't go any further uh, into this storm, uh, the mountain will just continue to bombard them with you know, all kinds of stuff. Right. So they end up turning back, uh, it ends up being a huge ordeal. Because the snow is like up to Aragorn's chest or whatever. Yeah. So Aragorn and Boromir have to like push their way through this, these mounds of snow. Uh, to make a path for the rest of the the, the company, it's kind um, of like a. <laughs> they have like kind of like a dick measuring contest. <laughs> what Boromir is like, I'm gonna plow my way through, and then Legos is like, I'm gonna run on top of the snow. <laughs> yeah, Legos does <laughs> his little elf thing, uh, and Gandalf, Boromir's like loving it though. Yeah. It seems like I'm gonna come back and pick up all the hobbits. Yeah, and he's take like, them oh, back. I can still do it. He comes back, picks <laughs> them all up, takes them through. Yeah, uh, and actually Gandalf and. Uh, and Legolas have a little uh, verbal joust that I thought was kind of funny. Oh, yeah. Legolas says, if Gandalf would go before us with a bright flame, he might melt a path for you. Uh, and he basically says he was still, he was kind of the only one that was still light of heart. Yeah. He, was, he wasn't as uh, downtrodden as the rest of the company. And then Gandalf says, if elves could fly over mountains, they might fetch the sun to save us. <laughs> So they were kind of going back and forth, and then uh, when Legolas jumps on top of the snow and starts uh, walking off, he says, farewell, he said to Gandalf, I go to find the sun, and then he runs off, um, which I, I just thought was kind of funny. That was cute. So That was cute. So then, yeah, like we said, Bormir and Aragorn kind of make a path through this really deep snow that obviously the hobbits wouldn't be able to get through. They pick the hobbits up, they take them through, uh, through this... Basically, it snowed all in one very specific area. So once they get past this really heavy snow, it's basically, there's basically nothing else after that, which continues to make them believe this was no ordinary snowfall. It was very targeted at them. So they get past this area of uh, deep snowfall, and then right behind them, on the way back up the mountain, there's this little kind of avalanche or something that blocks their way. Um, and so that's, they assume that's kind of the, the mountain's last like jab at them saying, you know, you can't make it this way, turn around. Um, and that's what they do. Uh, so they turn back and, uh, at that point they kind of agree that it was the, the mountain spirit or whatever. I mean, that's not what they call it, but that's essentially what it is, has defeated them. And so they have to turn back and go back down the mountain. So that's the end of, uh, chapter three. three. Um, book two. Moving on to chapter four, a journey in the dark. Which let me make sure, let me let me make sure I didn't miss anything. Yeah, me chapter. too. Did you did you have anything specific that you wanted to talk about? Um, I mean, besides the obvious differences yeah. between the film and the book, which it's, we already kind of touched on. Right. I think this chapter was mainly setting up the next chapter. Yeah. Which. Uh, I would I, I kind of do well maybe I'll just save it for this chapter I'm going to save it for this chapter okay let's go on yeah jump in whenever you want okay chapter 4 book 2 a journey in the dark so like we said they had just turned back from this um, from the past that they uh, were trying to go through unsuccessful 
So they, they're coming back down and they, for a minute, they kind of, they discuss going back to Rivendell. Like, you know, yeah. what, what they're kind of, what are our options right now? They're going through their options. Yeah. And, you know, one option is to go straight back to Rivendell. Uh, but Frodo basically says that he doesn't think that's an option. Gandalf agrees. He says, you're right, Frodo. Uh, to go back now is to admit defeat and, uh, and face worse defeat to come. Uh, because basically says if they take the ring back to Rivendell now, it'll stay there, and then eventually it will, you know, succumb yep. to the attack of Sauron. So that's not an option. Uh, then Gandalf brings up uh, the Mines of Moria, which him and Aragorn have been speaking about for quite a while. But this seems like one of their last options. Right, um, and this is what I wanted to talk about. Okay, that was quick. <laughs> um, so in the films. Gandalf is completely against going through the mines, and he seems to be the one that he's the one who's push, he's pushing the idea. Yeah, in this one, Aragorn's really against it. Yeah, um, and he kind and of basically brings everyone, most everybody's against is. it except for Gandalf and Gimli. And Frodo is like kind of wanting to follow Gandalf's Gandalf, lead, but right. he still is scared of it. But I thought it was weird that like Gandalf is the one who's pushing this yeah. when in the in the film. We're, which we're coming we're up about that to part right now. Yeah. He literally says, "I wouldn't pass through the mines of Moria unless we had no other choice." Right, and they did have they did have other choices. They do. Uh, uh, Boromir, Boromir wants to go yeah. make for the Gap of Rohan, which he does. He says the same thing. Exactly, but uh, it's the Gap of Rohan. If you consult your map, please take, consult your map. Takes you too close to Isengard, which, and he still isn't really. That's he wants. He's basically counting on Rohan. Right. Still. He thinks they'll still be loyal, um, and he seems. But that doesn't even matter because you're. They're running into Sauron territory. Right. When they get towards Isengard, so that's they kind of kick that option off the table. There's also he says another option that basically they continue going south, uh, past without without turning east to go past Isengard, just continue going south down into kind of the western reaches of Gondor and coming the long way around kind of along the shore uh, through Gondor which if you consult your map is a way is way out of the way and right. Aragorn or Gandalf I think says that that could take like a year you could spend a year doing that journey yeah um, and they don't have that they don't have that kind of time so basically all other options are off the table um, and I think it's kind of funny that uh, when it comes down to it Bormir's like I'm not going unless we vote, and everyone else votes that we go to Moria. <laughs> so apparently, this is it's a democracy at this point. Yeah, and, uh, he literally and, says, "I will not go." Yeah, unless, unless the, vote the, vote. the whole company is against me. But Legolas doesn't want to go. Yeah, uh, the hobbits don't say anything. Frodo says he doesn't want to go, but he also doesn't want to refuse the advice of Gandalf, right. whom he trusts. Um, so basically, they're like, "Okay, we're going to sleep on it. We'll vote in the morning." I guess that was. I guess that was their plan. However, before they can go to sleep that night, it is night, right? Are they sleeping during the day or are they sleeping at night? I think, uh, I think I, it's night. It, Regardless. It makes it seem like it's night. Before they go to sleep, Aragorn hears uh, wargs uh, somewhere near. Uh, they don't specify where, um, but he sees uh, how the wind howls, he cried. It is howling with wolf voices. The wargs have come west of the mountains, which wargs, if you're not familiar are basically giant evil wolves. Wolf, bear, pigs. Something. Yeah, they um, look as... They're wolf, bear, pigs, essentially. Um, I thought it was funny that after uh, 
they hear the <clears throat> the wargs. Boromir's like, okay, how far is Moria? Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's, like, let's go ahead and go. He's like ready to go to Moria. <laughs> yeah, uh, he actually says, how far is Moria? Asks yeah. Boromir. Um, and so then he says, uh, then let us start as soon as it is light tomorrow if we can. Yeah. Uh, the wolf that one hears is worse than I, the orc that one I have fears. It, I have it starred. <laughs> yeah. And then Aragorn comes back with true, uh, but where the warg howls, there are also the orc prowls. Uh, that was, that like, was a good little I back like and that. forth. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so they hear these wolves. I guess they think they're far enough off that they're not going to have to worry about them that night. Turns out they're wrong. Uh, so they see they f- the first encounter they have is with I guess what they thought was the chief wolfden uh, chieftain of the, the wolves, or right? Um, and so they see it kind of walking around their campfire, and Gandalf gets up and basically tries to intimidate it. Uh, he says, "Listen, Hound of Sauron, Gandalf is here. Fly if you value your foul skin. I will shrivel you from tail to snout if you come within this ring." Meaning the the ring they had set up around right. their fire, I guess. Well, um, they were in like a yeah, they were in like a some encircled encampment area. Yeah. Um, so the warg uh, basically doesn't listen to Gandalf. He just leaps for them, and this is the first time you see Legolas in action. He just takes him out with one quick arrow to the throat. Um, it says the there was a hideous yell, and the leaping shape thudded to the ground. The elvish arrow had pierced his throat. Uh, the watching eyes were suddenly extinguished. Um, and then, basically, all the other wolves kind of vanish. They're, they're gone. So I think, at that point, they think they're, they might be um, safe. They continue to camp there. Um, and it says, I think most of them were about to, to fall asleep. When kind of out of nowhere, uh, a great host of wargs, says, has gathered silently. It was now attacking them from every side. Um, so everyone pulls out their weapons. Um, it says, uh, through the throat of one huge leader, uh, Aragorn passed his sword with a thrust. With a great sweep, Bormir hewed the head off of another. Uh, beside them, Gimli uh, stood with his stout legs apart, wielding his dwarf axe. The bow of Legolas was singing. Uh, so they're all fighting these wargs off, essentially. Bormir is so strong. Oh, yeah. He takes his head off with one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't think the Frodo's are uh, the Frodo's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the Hobbits are doing anything at this point. Uh, but then Gandalf, uh, it says uh, in the wavering firelight, Gandalf seems suddenly to grow. So he stood up and almost like he does in the film whenever he's talking right. to Bilbo and he gets that companion yeah. voice and gets all huge. Uh, so he stands up and grabs a burning piece of wood from the fire and kind of throws it up in the air and casts some spell on it. Basically makes the entire area turn into like a firestorm. I wrote. A, I wrote. The, I looked up the spell. At uh, this point uh, in the chapters, I started looking up everything that <clears throat> Gandalf was saying that wasn't in English. Okay. Would do you? Do you have any yeah. comment on this then? Just what it says. Well, what uh, does it say? His little spell that he says uh, translates to "fire be for saving us," and then the second line is "fire against the werewolf host." Uh, werewolf host. Yeah. Interesting. That's why I wrote it down. Because I thought it was weird. Yeah. Because in our... Maybe wargs are descended from werewolves. Right. If you consult your lore, there's a, a great history of werewolves in Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's the case. Maybe and, then, we- and then later on he says, um, when they wake up the next morning, mm-hmm. uh, and they can't find any 
evidence of the war yeah there. i thought that and was weird Gandalf says I know it, it is as i feared uh these were no ordinary wolves hunting hunting for food in the wilderness yeah so maybe they are they werewolves they might be but what, wouldn't they have just turned back into humans and they would have had a bunch of dead I don't, human bodies I don't know around? what Middle-earth werewolves do. That's true. I, I don't know either. Um, also of note, all of uh, Legolas's arrows, save one, right. were unscathed. Right. Uh, it specifies whenever Gandalf does his his fire spell, Legolas is shooting one last arrow at a, at a warg and it catches on fire mid-flight and s- stabs into the warg and kills it. So I didn't that, see that. Yeah, right. It, it, I didn't make. There's no oh, way the I last, made that up. Oh, the last arrow of Legolas kindled yeah. in the air as it flew. Okay, it plunged, burning, burning into the heart of the great wolf chieftain. Nice. All the others fled. Yeah. So this spell took over the arrow and and gave it some magic firepower. Uh, but the rest of the arrows were unscathed. So it was a very magical targeted fire. It didn't just burn everything. Teamwork up. makes dream work. Yeah. Uh, because unlike in the movie where he essentially has as many arrows as he could possibly need. Well, I think he gets a magical. Quiver. So I thought so too. I don't Is know that, if that actually true? happens. I don't. Okay. Well, we'll find out. I kind of looked into it. I don't think that happens. We'll find out. But that I had it the sure same seems thought. like he has a. But a it is important that he he needs to retrieve his arrow. And I hate to consult. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't consult it. He runs out of arrows in the Hobbit movie. <laughs> don't consult it. He runs out of arrows. He never okay. runs out of arrows in Lord of the Rings. Okay. Anyway, well, moving on. Sorry, I had to do it. Uh. So, like we said, uh, there were no signs of the wolves, uh, or the werewolves, whatever they happen to be. Um, so, that was a little interesting thing. We're not really sure exactly what that means, but... Uh, so that morning, they set off again. This time, headed to Moria. It's their only option. They've discussed it. Um, Gandalf has to break the news. I don't know if he breaks the news to Sam right now, or if he's just talking about it. But essentially, he breaks the news to Sam that Bill, he's the not pony, gonna, he's, not not gonna gonna, he's not gonna make it through Moria. Um, there's probably going to be a lot of tight areas, a lot of climbing. He's not going to, he's not going to make it. Uh, Sam is pretty tore up about it. Um, but Gandalf, uh, as wise as he is, can maybe communicate with animals to some extent. Yeah. And so he he comes up and kind of does this whisper thing to Bill and basically tells him he, uh, I don't know if he gives him some kind of magic powers or something, but (laughs) basically he tells him to go back make your way back to uh, to Rivendell. Yeah. And so you kind of assume that that's probably what happens. Um, Sam's worried about him, but at this point, Gandalf says his odds of making it out of here alive are a lot better than ours. Right. <clears throat> um, yeah. Bill has to leave. At this point, they come to the walls of Moria, and um, I think Gandalf is the one that's talking about the hidden... Elvendor, right? So there's this giant mm-hmm. kind of wall that's in the in the in the mountain, and there's two giant trees, right? So the way they know that they're in the right spot, it also notes that they have to kind of go around this little lake area. It's a yeah. gross little lake, which right? And then before that, he also notes that there's a stream that he's been looking to find, but the stream is like dried now. <clears throat> yeah, it's like just a trickling. It looks the area looks different than the last time he passed yeah. through there. He's not sure why, but he finds the area on this wall where there's two giant holly trees, which um, marked the which marked the West Gate to Moria, and uh, it also marked the end of the road that the elves used to use to go to Moria. 
So the elves that used to live in this area and the dwarves Holland. that used to, in Holland, yes. And the dwarves that used to live in Moria had a pretty amicable relationship. They would trade amongst each other and I guess they would travel to and from one's countries. So there's a road that used to go through here and they used to use this door quite a bit. Um, the relationship between elves and dwarves at this point in Middle-earth's history is not so great. There's a lot of tension there and you see that a few times in the relationship between Gimli, Gimli and Legolas. Correct. Um, was there anything else you wanted to <clears throat> talk about? Sure, yes. we, can, we can talk do you about it. Do you want to wait till we actually get to the, the door itself? Yeah, they, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, so so they, they, find, they find the area on the wall where the door should be, but it's right. basically like flat stone. <laughs> There's nothing there, which uh, turns out isn't that out of the ordinary, that basically the way that the dwarves made the door is that it's impossible to see unless you know what you're looking and for. And it's, it's also another um, parallel between the... Uh, relationship between the the elves and the dwarves like mm -hmm. this it's like a forgot now it's that it's like a forgotten door it's almost impossible to find yeah because you the, know right exactly it was a combination it of elf magic i guess and dwarven correct uh technology slash craftsmanship that come <clears throat> together to, to form this door exactly uh so gandalf knows what he's doing for the most part so he's able to uh find the area um, exactly on the wall uh, where this door is and he kind of makes this kind of frame this frame of light that's built into the side of the mountain appear um, let me make sure I'm not missing anything here oh regarding uh, the dwarven elven relationship I was just looking at <laughs> the are you talking about the little back and forth between yes. Legos and Gimli yeah, uh, yeah so I don't want to read all this. I want to find what I what I want to specifically say. Basically, Gimli is saying it wasn't the dwarves' fault that the friendship between yeah. the dwarves and elves waned, and Legolas is like, "Well, it wasn't our fault." And Gandalf's like, "I've heard both the stories. Yeah, can y'all? He literally says, "Can y'all be friends?" Yeah, I beg you to Legolas and Gimli at least, to, at be least friends, to be friends and to help me. I need you both. The doors are shut and hidden, and the sooner we find them, the better. Night is at hand. Uh, yeah, so there's there's a little animosity there, but Gandalf's like, quit it for now. We can't, uh, we you know, we gotta handle this challenge that's in front of us. Um, so, like I said, Gandalf kind of finds this, uh, the area directly on the, the wall where the, where the door is. Um, and it says at the top, uh, there was an arch of interlacing letters in Elvish character. Uh, there was a few other symbolic things on this door that they saw. There was a crown with seven stars um, and a few other things. Um, there's actually, apparently Tolkien thought it was an, important enough to right. draw... We, uh, we talked about this yeah, earlier. Um, to draw the... To actually draw the door out. It takes up an entire page. It's the with, first image. Yeah, it's the first thing that's actually drawn out in this book. And there's right. actually another thing that's drawn out uh, yeah. later in this chapter. But you can see the the image of the door if you're looking at your book right now so there's the crown with seven stars there's a hammer and anvil there's a bigger star down at the bottom and uh, the two, and holly, two trees. holly trees coming up and there's some elvish runes that i think it goes into detail um some it it specifies what some of the elvish runes say um so gandalf uh says um so the way, okay, yeah. So the way he was able to make it appear, uh, 
He says, uh, it sleeps until it is touched by one who speaks words now long forgotten in Middle-earth. It is long since I heard them, and I thought deeply before I could recall them to my mind. There's also a, there's a few other times throughout this chapter that Gandalf has to search deep within his mind right. for some information. He basically knows everything, but it's hard for him to sometimes pull that information out. Right. Um, so, what the door says. Um, uh, it says, the doors of Durin, Lord of Moria, uh, speak friend and enter. Similar to the way it says in the film. And then uh, underneath it, there's a little tagline. Uh, I, Narvi, made them. Uh, Celebrimborn, or sorry, Celebrimbor of Holland drew these signs. Uh, Celebrimbor, if I'm not mistaken, is, isn't he the one that made the Elvish rings? Correct. Okay. He's, he's like one of the greatest Elvish craftsmen yeah. of all time, which is why he had a hand in creating... Constructing this the door. door. And then Narvi is uh, a dwarf. He's a dwarf. That there's not that much known about right. him. Right. Yeah. I think he was probably just a really mm-hmm. good craftsman. Yeah, so he was responsible for the doors. So, it says, the doors of Durin, Lord of Moria. Who is Durin? Funny you should ask, Jimmy. More like, who are Durin? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the Durin that it speaks of, you may think... Okay, so, there is what you would call Tolkien scholars. Okay. And they debate over which Durin it's actually referring to. Interesting. So we have uh, Durin the Deathless. The first dwarf. The original dwarf. And he lived okay. for like thousands of years. Right, the oldest of all the dwarves. And most dwarves live like a couple hundred maybe. Right. Um, created. He was created by one of the Valar. Valar. Yeah. Their history is actually a little bit interesting. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, they create. So he was created, he slept, and was awoken after the elves were made. Right. So essentially, one of the Valar got kind of bored or whatever, so he created this being before... So Iluvatar is like the... Creator, creator. The, the high, the highest god. Yeah. He's in charge of everybody else. He is the one that created men and elves. Elves were... They're also called firstborn. Uh, so whenever one of the Valar made uh, a dwarf, he thought that... Iluvatar was going to be pissed off that he made this creature without kind of telling him. Uh, but Iluvatar uh, forgives him, and essentially all he makes him do is to wait to wake up the dwarves until after the elves have been woken. Um, so it's a little bit of an interesting right. uh, origin story for dwarves. So, regardless, Durin, first dwarf. Right, and they never... I don't know if they, it later on they specify, but Durin refers to a lot of different dwarves but also one dwarf in dwarven lore they refer to durin as this continually reincarnating dwarf who wait reincarnating or just they they it's reincarnation really yeah okay i didn't so, i i did not know that there's durin the deathless right. then you have durin the second the third the fourth so they think these aren't just his children these are actual him or, reincarnated actually containing the memories of the previous durin before Interesting. Then. So there are some scholars that believe that this Durin's door is referring to Durin the Second. Okay. Okay. So the original Durin created Kazadum, mm-hmm. which we will refer to it as Kazadum for right now. It has many names. Uh, uh, Dwarfen, not Dwarfen. Dwarfen right? It's something different. I think that's what Gimli that. calls it. I thought it was something different. Well. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Doom, and then later on, after a certain event happens, it's referred to as Moria. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, 
So it's either so during it be, or, it's either during the second or during the third okay. that uh, was some possible reincarnation of. Regardless, it's all the same person. Okay. okay, so it's not that big of a deal. Gotcha. Um, that makes but sense. But yes, Celebrimbor and um, Narvi created the door as a passageway and a way of trade and uh, <clears throat> just yeah passage between um, the, the elves Elven kingdom of Holland and, right uh, and actually something I read that you, I didn't even find it on the Wikipedia page that I was reading I can't remember where I found it uh, after that door was created that's the way that um, Galadriel went to take uh, her group her following through Moria to settle Lothlorien uh, Interesting. Very yes. Interesting. Um, so we're talking about the relationship, um, the parallels between the door and the relationship between the elves and uh, the, the dwarves. Yeah. So um, talking about this. Obviously, of the, the dwarves. What? Are you going to talk about the symbolism of the? We can of talk. Stars? We can talk about that because it could mean many things. I think what the big meaning is is when Durin first discovered came and discovered this area. He looked into the yeah what he eventually Some named the mirror, of, uh, the mirror, mirror mail, something like that. Yeah, the the mirror mirror or mirror mirror. It's either mirror mirror or mirror mirror. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, he looked into it and in the reflection, the constellation saw, the, saw this constellation. Yeah, what. And when I read about that, it said it was during the daytime. He saw it during the day. Interesting. He sees this constellation over his reflection. So it's some that, kind of magical yeah. something. Yeah, and it looks it resembles what he thinks is a crown. Okay. It looks like a crown over his head. So then that ended up being symbolic of Durin. Correct. Because he seven stars on it. He um, creates Casa Doom, right. which is the greatest of all the dwarf kingdoms. And. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and I actually want to flip back really quick to make sure I'm not mistaken, but Aragorn's sword, uh, Anduil, I think has seven stars on it. Didn't they say that? It, uh, they did say something about um, that. Shoot, what page was that on? Uh, do, you look at, you okay. look at that, I'll okay. keep talking about yeah, you keep talking. Uh, the door. So, when they created this door, it was open all the time. They, they, they left it open. It, okay. You didn't have to walk up and say a password, and it opens for you. They kept it open. They kept, like, some sentinels on guard, but... Okay, found it. I'm gonna Go ahead. Uh, so the sword of Elendil was forged anew by Elvish smiths. So this is back in Rivendell, whenever mm -hmm. they're reforging the sword. Right. Uh, and on its blade was traced uh, a device of seven stars set between the crescent moon and the rayed sun. Uh, and it says there was also runes written on it. So this is also important to Elvish culture as well. Yeah. This, uh, these seven stars, this constellation. It right. represents a constellation. Um, right. So it's important to both dwarves and elves. So this, there. So what's interesting, uh, seven is like a really popular number. Um, there were seven pa uh, Palantiri, I think is the plural. Right. Of Palantiri. There were also seven dwarf, dwarf original dwarf lords. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and also during the... I think it was during the, the no, maybe seventh. It's during the third, either during the second or during the third was the one who actually received the um, the, the ring the from ring? Sauron. Okay, um, or Celebrimbor. I can't remember which one actually gave him the ring. I think Celebrimbor actually gave him like, the ring. Handed it to him, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, back to the doors. They were always open originally, mm -hmm. um, 
and then came uh, in the second age. There was uh, when Sauron was coming to power. He was. They were uh, in a great battle with the elves at that point of Holland, and um, they uh, Celebrimbor was killed um, in one of these battles. Durin the third uh, sends some some of his men out to try to quell the um, attackers, and they're defeated. Uh, and Sauron takes control of Holland and all the mm-hmm. areas surrounding. Durin the third brings all his men back into Casa Doom and shuts the gate. So he's good. like, I'm out. Yeah, I'm gonna chill in my yeah. kingdom and. Okay, so that's where the animosity between the elves and dwarves possibly comes right from. like he kind of he didn't really abandon he, he abandoned them but he kind of he kind of yeah. did yeah um so but that's all i want to talk about because after that some other stuff happens but okay. i want to talk about it in the next chapter oh yeah okay well tune in next week for that folks for now we're going to move on with the plot here uh so they're at the door they're not sure what to do uh, kind of similar to the film, they're all kind of sitting around while Gandalf figures out what, what he's going to do to open this door. He tries basically every spell he can possibly think of. He knows every language that's essentially ever been spoken in Middle-earth. Um, he tries every you know combination of words he can think of to try to get this door to open. You want to know what some of them say? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. I looked them up. Tell me. Um, so, the... Uh, he says that spell that's the exact spell that he says in the film by the way okay. he repeats that word for word um, doorway of the dwarf folk listen to the word of my tongue okay. that's the second thing that he says the first thing he says I, very uh, it's like open point. yeah it's like open up door yeah that's you basically, better open <laughs> that's basically what the first line says <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway weirdly enough none of those things work mm-hmm. uh, so he can't figure it out uh, it's impossible to try to, there's, there's no edges to this door. It's impossible to try to get it open there. There's a spell. There's a word that has to be said. Um, and like I, like we just said, he basically tries every single possible combination. He's uh, frustrated. He gets frustrated and he, uh, he kind of roasts Pippin here a little bit. Uh, <laughs> he's Pippin's, he's his head yeah, he it. says, so Pippin's like, you know, just honestly asking like, well, what are you going to, what are you going to do? And <laughs> Gandalf says, knock on the doors with your head, Erwin Took. <laughs> But if that does not shatter them, uh, and I am allowed a little peace from foolish questions, I will seek for the opening words. <laughs> so that that was a funny little. Uh, I like I like the way that Pippin's character is uh, is kind of being fleshed well, out. Well, we're funny. finally getting the the classic Gandalf Pippin relationship, the fool of a took yep. uh, relationship. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, so then, all of a sudden, uh, Gandalf realizes that. He's been a fool this entire time. It was much more simple. Um, he says, uh, absurdly simple, like most riddles when you see the answer. So he picks up his staff. Uh, he stood before the rock and said in a clear voice, Melon. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how he says it. Nice, Jimmy. And uh, so that opens up the door. Um, and obviously, so uh, for those who haven't seen the film, I'm assuming everyone has, but... Uh, Melon is the Elvish word for friend. So it says it right there on the door. Speak friend and enter. Um, and Gandalf says, well, the better translation would have been say friend and enter. Right. Regardless, they open up the door. <clears throat> now, before they can get in, and this happens in the film too, mm-hmm. some creature from possibly from the deep parts of the, some waters deep down in, in the earth or whatever, 
uh, come up behind them in this lake, this kind of dark lake that's been behind them this whole time. And Bormir and Frodo, both, they're kind of talking about, they yeah. both are scared of this lake for right. some reason. They don't really know why. Um, Boromir is actually the one that throws a rock in there like an idiot, um, possibly wakes this thing up. Yeah. Um, but essentially, as they're about to go in through the door, um, this tentacle reaches out and grabs Frodo by the ankle. Just Frodo, which Gandalf actually thinks later on he thought was weird because of all the people he could have grabbed, he grabbed Frodo, who right. has the ring. So right. he seems to think that this creature has some knowledge, possibly, of what's going on, and he maybe knows that Frodo has this ring. Um, regardless, <clears throat> it says, Out of the water, a long, sinuous tentacle had crawled. It was pale green and luminous and wet. Uh, it also says it's fingered end yeah. hold of Frodo's I, foot. Yeah. So so in the film, it's, it's like got, a suction cup thing. Yeah. It's like a giant squid. It's got hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't... It's weird. So, I thought the same thing. Anyway. So Sam jumps over there. He's hacking at it, uh, slashing at the tentacle with his knife uh, to basically help Frodo get away. They do get away. Um, they jump through the door really, really quickly. And uh, basically, as they're going through this giant tentacle monster like 20 other tentacles come out or something he slams the door behind them and he's pulling down like the trees and boulders and stuff all in front of the store so they make it inside moria but at that point they're trapped right very similar to how it happens in the film yep um and similar to the film you don't get very much information about this lake monster right um the watcher in the water yeah the basically all you can tell is what gandalf is thinking which he seems to think that it's some creature uh, similar to a Balrog, but not as powerful, who kind of lived in maybe some deep underground waters that were that was awakened by the dwarves, possibly. How much do you know about this creature? I don't... Please inform me. I don't, I don't oh. know much either. Man, I thought you were about to... I think it's one of the, like... So, knowledge. in the Silmarillion, they kind of describe, like, some of the original monsters that have been around for since the beginning of time. Okay. I think he... The Watcher in the Water is one of them. That wouldn't surprise me. Right. And Sauron has, like, this kind of uh, connection or con even control of, like, all things evil mm -hmm. in the world. And this thing is one of those. Okay. So he might... So this kind of ties into what you're saying, like, why it would go after Frodo specifically. Because maybe it's being kind of controlled by right. Sauron, possibly. Right. Okay. I uh, could be completely wrong about that, <laughs> but I, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what Gandalf says... Uh, I think this is where he's talking about. Something has crept or has been driven out of the dark waters under the mountains. There are older and fouler things than orcs in the deep places of the world. Right. And I would like to point out, uh, they have not and will not in this chapter ever mention specifically what that is. Correct. Yeah. And I want to talk about it. I think I know what you're thinking. Yeah. But we'll wait. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They do say Durin's Bane. Yes, but they don't specify what that is. Right. Uh, so we know what it is, but we're not going to we'll, we're not gonna get into it yet. We're not. So Frodo escapes with the help of Sam. They get into Moria, uh, but at this point, they're closed in. Uh, Gandalf says, the passage is blocked behind us now, and there's only one way out on the other side of the mountains. So like we said, they enter, they're entering on the west side of the Misty Mountains, and they have to get all the way across to the eastern gate of Moria to right. get across the mountains. That's their plan. Um, he also says that he was sorry that the trees were pulled down because they were so beautiful and yeah. they were old. Uh, and I think I think it's worth noting. Oh, yeah. Uh, when they first come to those trees, uh, Frodo notes that 
they're these trees are bigger than he's ever seen or could even imagine. Yeah, these trees are huge. He can't even imagine a tree being this big. So all all their travels through forests so far and everything, he hasn't even seen anything close. Yeah, to it. so these so trees I can't, dwarf. I can't even. I thought. Um, just another note. Yeah. I thought the descriptions of the walls of Moria and just the area that that they're in were pro, are, so far have been the closest in terms of the the way the filmmakers the displayed it. Of that yeah. They did. They nailed it. They nailed it. Yeah. Other than the, there's no trees, uh, which. I, Why didn't they do that? I don't know. That's I don't weird. think it's that important, but. At the end of the day, it's not. They important. nailed. They nailed it. They sh- they should have had the trees. I'm they nailed Moria as well. Yeah. So Moria Moria is uh, looks really really good in the films. Yeah. Uh, it's the first like really scary part in the movie. Honestly. Like, yeah. As a little kid watching this, yeah. it's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. Um. <clears throat> So Gandalf lights the the tip of his staff uh, with a very soft light, you know, so that they can see where they're going. So it's pitch black in there, obviously. Um, so he starts to well, he's going to lead the company, but before they do, they they make camp really quick, right where they where they are, because everyone's kind of shaken up. They need food. Um, but Gandalf says that he thinks it should take three to four days. He says three to four marches, which I'm assuming means like, you know, they march for a day and then they rest, right? And then, uh, so it'll take three or four days to get through this uh, kind of giant cavernous right. tunnel area that is Moria. And for reference, he says, um, dang it, he says uh, in a straight line from, I guess, from the West Gate, the Doors of Durin, to the, the Great Gate, the Eastern on Gate. On the Eastern Gate is 40 miles in a straight line. That's a lot. And, it and is they're lot. winding all exactly. over the place. They're going up, up and down. Up, down, left, right. Yeah. So there's a few, uh, in the next few paragraphs, they have some descriptions of Moria, which I kind of want to read a few of, just because it, it's got good imagery here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it says, in the pale ray of the wizard's staff, uh, Frodo caught glimpses of stairs and arches and of other passages and tunnels sloping up and running steeply down or opening blankly dark on either side. It was a, uh, It was bewildering beyond hope of remembering. So it's impossible to get through here if you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. Uh, Gandalf has been through here before. Aragorn also says he's been through he here before. And I think he's been more recently. Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. I it seems like Gandalf was there... A while ago. Like, way before Aragorn was even born. Maybe. It seems like. It's possible. So Gandalf is trying to pull from his memory where where he's going. That just brought up something else that I forgot to bring up. Say it. Um... When they're deciding that they're going to take the road to Moria, right? Uh, Aragorn has this weird specific warning to Gandalf. Do you remember this? No. Let me let me find it. Because I'm gonna I, keep, think, I'm I gonna, think it's important. Okay, you go find it. I'm going to keep talking a little bit about the uh, imagery of okay of Moria. Uh, so I just the, found it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um. So they're, when they're discussing um, if they're going to go to Moria, uh, Aragorn's basically relinquishing the lead to Gandalf because he's basically accepted that his path to the the path right. of the Caradhras was, it it was a failure. Out, so he's going to follow. So he's like, uh, "You followed my lead almost to, za- to disaster in the snow, uh, and have said no word of blame. I will follow your lead now. If this last warning does not move you." It is not of the ring nor of us others that I'm thinking now, but of you, Gandalf. And I say to you, if you pass the doors of Moria, beware. Whoa. Like, How did I just 
gloss over that. I don't know, but it's like a specific. So he it has feels a very, like. So he, do you think he knows about Durin's bane? Probably. And thinks that the only way that they're gonna be able to get through that is if Gandalf. I guess this thing. It's I don't know, I don't know. But That's, that is. Weird. I can't believe I forgot to bring it's that definitely up. Definitely a little foreshadowing there, to say yeah. the least. Yeah. Um, so. <clears throat> Yeah, that, I and, thought that was weird. Yeah, okay. So back to the mines. Uh, a little more imagery. Uh, the mines of Moria were vast and intricate beyond the imagination of Gimli, Glowin's son, dwarf of the mountain race though he was. Um, so even to Gimli, this place is like, he can't even imagine how intricate and crazy it is. Um, it says, There were not only many roads to choose from, there were also in many places holes and pitfalls and dark wells beside the path in which their passing feet echoed. There were fissures and chasms in the walls and floor, and every now and then a crack would open right before their feet. Um, it says one of them was like seven feet across, and Pippin had to yeah. like get his you know strength together before right. he tried to jump over it. And um, again, Sam wishes he had that, some rope. Oh, that rope. Yep. She had it. Doesn't have it. Um, I also made a note. Oh, so something like really, really random uh, that Aragorn, this little turn of phrase he uses... Uh, Aragorn, referring to Gandalf, uh, he is sure of finding the way home uh, in a blind night than the cats of Queen Beruthiel. That's so. That's like a like I guess like a phrase or yeah. something that. People and I thought use. about looking it up, and I was like, eh, it seems kind of. I looked, you look it up. It up? I looked it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, Tolkien scholars are really interested in this little like phrase. <laughs> I really interested in this little phrase because there's like very little about it. Apparently, in some letter that Tolkien sent to someone regarding his, you know, regarding Middle Earth, um, he discusses it a little bit. And maybe there's some of the Silmarillion. I'm not sure. So this queen was a, a Numenorean queen, and there were the the Black Numenoreans were the like the evil ones that right, turned right. against. We talked about last episode, right? So she was a Black Numenorean queen who used cats as spies. She had ten cats and. They're used as spies, and I think that's like the only mention of cats in maybe the entire. <laughs> but it, uh, what Tolkien scholars point out, is that uh, this line right here, the fact that it's kind of out of completely out of left field, it makes you feel like there's so much more that you don't even like. There's these little like you know sayings that people say, and it's like right. there's this whole other world that even though he does such a good job world building, yeah, like there's so much you don't even know that like a main character in Aragorn could say something and you're like, wait, what is, wait, what is that? And yeah. it's just a common phrase. Right. So they point out that that's kind of a way of like showing that there's even a more detailed world out there that right. isn't even wait, shown he to does us. That, he does that in the songs too. Yeah. That's how I feel like the songs, the songs are like mm -hmm. a passageway. Into it's like it. referring to all these things that we know nothing of. It's right. just like a part of the world that exists. Right. Um, but yeah. So those were the some good descriptions of what they're looking at in Moria. It's this crazy, intricate, pretty dangerous place that they're trying to get through. Right. So going is pretty slow. Um, also, Frodo has noted some changes in his senses. And he thinks that this is from the stabbing that he had. Right. The, uh, the stabbing on top of Weathertop. Right. Uh, or near Weathertop. So he can 
kind of see in the dark yeah. at this point. He says basically, oh, let, me, let me. Do you? Are you looking at it? I'm not. Okay. Let oh me wait, find wait, it. wait. Yeah, I am looking at it. <laughs> One more sign yeah. of change that he soon had noticed was that he could see more in the dark than any of his companions, save perhaps Gandalf. Yeah. So this, he somehow has some like interesting powers, like from the quote unquote other side. Um, that being like the the wraith world that he kind of has some uh like some weird powers now his senses were sharper and more aware of things uh that could not be seen um, i think it also says oh it doesn't outright say it but he frodo begins to hear or to imagine that he heard something else right like the faint fall of soft bare feet um so you that leads you to believe that he also has better hearing better hearing because no one else is talking about this when you first read that line what did you think you know what I thought. I know what you thought. <laughs> uh, I should have thought that. I didn't think that at first. What did I you thought think? that it was possibly uh, like goblins or oh. orcs or something. Okay. Well, obviously, I thought it was Gollum. Yeah. Obviously, there's another line somewhere in here that's talking about the padding of feet that yeah. he hears. After I read it the second time, I was like, oh, obviously, yeah. it's Gollum. Uh, and it hasn't talked about him specifically yet. Um, but later in the chapter, it talks about two eyes right luminous eyes that frodo sees and um, i it, and then it made me think like okay in the films Gollum's following them in moria i never thought how did he get through the the doors how did he get through those the western <clears throat> doors if they were closed behind them maybe he came in through the east doors um he did oh really that was <laughs> yeah. a guess i don't know <laughs> um or he came in by some other means, okay. but he's been there for a while. So, well, there are other ways into this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, there's, it talks, all, there's, you know, some, uh, right. basically skylights coming into one of these areas. Yeah. There's tunnels all over the place. So, there, he's pretty familiar with living in mountains. Right. Um, uh, I, I found it by looking, I saw it in some timeline I was looking at. Uh, where right now, I think it's January. Yeah, uh, and I saw, I read in a different timeline of Gollum's travels. Interesting. And he made it to. I'm just gonna say it. Why, I don't know why I'm beating him, but he in, in August okay. of the previous year he wound up in Moria. So he's been there for so a he's while. He's been in Moria this whole time. Yeah, I guess he's comfortable there. I guess after he escaped from. Uh, so did he? There's no Kirkwood. way he like reasoned that they would come through there. It's Was another. Happened, it's another example. Chance? Another example of destiny. Destiny. Yeah. I did not know that. I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> uh, so, after they've been traveling through Moria for a little while, they come to the the impasse where there's three routes they could go, and Gandalf has no memory of this place. One, right. One goes down. One, one goes, goes straight. Up. One goes yeah. One goes straight. Right. Yeah. So there's three options, and Gandalf, all this information in his head, he he doesn't have he doesn't think he remembers what this place is. He has no memory of it. He can't really figure it out. Um, so they decide to kind of make camp here for the time being because he's still trying to figure out where they're going to be going and, and what's going to happen. So uh, this is actually the the famous fool of a took line uh, happens right here rather than in uh, you know the Balan's tomb area. Right. Um, so. This is, uh, Pippin throws, there's this kind of well type thing that goes down into some chasm, uh, in this little room that they find near the, the, the three, the split of the hallway. And Pippin, 
just for on some impulse basically throws a rock down there just to see what happens basically yeah. like a kid that's exactly what he's like oh that's cool and just throws it in um and it says he i mean it took like you know multiple seconds for it to hit the bottom uh and then <clears throat> uh gandalf says um Basically, Pippin tells Gandalf what he did, and he was angry. Uh, Fool of a took, he growled. Uh, this is a serious journey, not a hobbit walking party. Throw yourself in next time, and then you will be no further nuisance. Now be quiet. Uh, and then they hear some some ominous noises. It's In the film, it's drums. Right. Here, it's not drums. Uh, Gimli says that it sounds like a hammer. And he says it's... He basically says it's definitely him. Right. And, that I, was the, and I believe him. That was the sound of a hammer. I have never heard one. And I'm not one to question a dwarf's knowledge of what a hammer sounds like. Yeah. Um, so Gandalf says, yes, and I do not like it. Uh, it may have had nothing to do with Peregrine's foolish stone, uh, but uh, probably something has been disturbed that would have been uh, better left quiet. So something probably woke up. They're not really sure exactly, but... Uh, Gandalf ends up coming over to Pippin later on. Basically, Pippin's put on guard duty as a punishment. Um, and Gandalf comes over and kind of consoles him. And he yeah. says, it's like, I'm not sleeping anyway. You like, yeah. get some sleep. And it says his eyes were, like, friendly. So Gandalf has a heart after all. Um, he also, he, he needs a smoke. Gandalf hasn't had a good smoke in a while. And he thinks, you know, if I'm going to remember which way to go, I just need to, to light up right now and, and get some smoke in. Um... So and he does, and he does, uh, and it helps him obviously because a few hours later, after everyone else has had some rest, uh, he's he's made up his mind. He says, "I do not like the feel of the middle way, and I do not like the smell of the left hand way. There's a foul air down there, and I or I am no guide. I shall take the right hand passage. It is time we begin to climb up again." So they're taking the right hand passage, which is a steady upward incline <clears throat> from where they're going. Um, again, as they're going up this this rightward passage, uh, Frodo, Frodo hears uh, the footsteps behind them, and at first he thinks maybe it's an echo of their feet, but it's even when they're stopped, he can hear this yeah. kind of patter of bare feet. So I, once I read that, I was like, oh, of course, yeah, it's Gollum, um, obviously. Um, let me make sure I'm not missing anything. Nope, we're good. So they they follow this right-handed passage up to uh, some great hall essentially uh they say uh, they're they're walking through this tunnel when suddenly the walls to right and left vanish they seem to have passed through some arch doorway into a black and empty space so this is a really big space um they don't know exactly where they are but uh gandalf flashes just for a second of uh, some brighter light so they can see kind of more what this is uh, it says he raised his staff and for a brief instant there was a blaze like a flash of lightning Great shadows sprang up and fled, and for a second they saw a vast roof far above their heads, upheld by many mighty pillars hewn of stone. Uh, before them and on either side stretched a huge empty hall. Its black walls, polished and smooth as glass, flashed and glittered. Three other entrances they saw, dark black arches, one straight before them, eastwards, uh, and one on either side. Then the light went out. So they see this massive hall. Um, whenever Gandalf kind of uh, flashes this bright, yeah. this bright light, so they're in this giant hall. Uh, is this supposed to be the Hall of Doom? This the... is the Halls of Moria. Okay. This is the yeah. This is like the so in the film whenever they go into the giant right, which is one of it's one of my favorite scenes. It's a great scene. Uh, and actually, Sam says a line that he says early. He said earlier in the book, 
Did you catch that? I don't think so. When Gandalf does his fire spell, uh, Sam says, there's an eye-opener and no mistake. Oh, that's what yeah. He, that's he says what he whenever says he when they the... see this. And I think it's cool because my favorite part of the film at that part is Boromir. Because he's like... He, he You get this idea that he's like really proud of the his race of men. And yeah. Probably thinks very little of dwarves. And, and then he sees and this... And then he sees this great... Yeah. Hall of Moria, and he's like, "Oh my god!" Like, there's no way we could have done <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Um, right. So they're in this giant hall. Uh, the next interesting thing uh, that I think comes up is Gimli's song. Right. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to talk about regarding this? Gimli's I mean, song? so it's basically what I already talked about. Okay, it's yeah. basically like Durin. It's about history. Durin, right? Yeah. Um, oh, and it's oh, so here it's Mirror Mirror. I said it right Mirror, Mirror, one of those yeah. times. He stooped and looked in mirror, mirror, and, and saw, saw a crown, crown of stars, stars appear. Yeah, as gems upon a silver thread, and above the shadow of his head. Um, so yeah, this song that he sings, which I'm sure is great. I wish I could, I could hear the like the rhythm to it and the, yeah. the melody. But uh, it's basically about dwarven history, um, and Sam Sam seems to like it. Uh, I like that," said Sam. <laughs> "I should like to learn it in Moria and Kazadun." Um, but it's a little bit of a somber song. Um, yeah. So it's... Uh, yeah, Gimli's kind of like sad after he's... Yeah, it. I mean, you have to think from Gimli's standpoint, he's going in here hoping for the best. Right. He knows that maybe, you know, because from what we learn at the Council of Elrond, um, Balin and two of the... Orin, Droin, and I don't know. whatever... Two of the other hobbits, uh, sorry, two of the other dwarves are supposed to have come <laughs> come and set up, basically try to uh, rebuild right. this area. And so far, they haven't seen any signs. No. Uh, and he's hoping that possibly they're around here, but um, Gimli's probably feeling uh, a little bit let down. Yeah. Uh, this is the point when they start talking, uh, after, the, uh, after Gimli's song, um, they start to discuss Mithril. Uh, and Frodo, the entire time, does not let them know what he has on. He kind of keeps it a secret. Right. Um, but basically they discuss Mithril and um, the way Gandalf describes it is that Mithril was the foundation of their wealth uh, and so also it was their destruction. Uh, they delved too greedily and too deep and disturbed, uh, and disturbed that from which they fled, Durin's Bane, which, like we said before, that's the only right. uh, reference to what we know is the Balrog of Moria, um, which they haven't brought up yet. <clears throat> Um, so basically Mithril, for those who don't know, is not necessarily magical, but it, it's, a, a type of metal that has some really, really good properties for, uh, for working metal working. And it's very, very valuable. It's, right. I think at one point they say that it's worth as much of the Shire. It's worth and everything in it. Right. And that's it. That's in the extended edition. Really? Yeah. Gandalf says that. I need to watch the extended edition um, more often, so I forget what's in there. Another little fun ba- fact about Mithril is that it can only be found in two places. Really? I thought it was only one. I thought it was only in Khazad-dûm. There's one more Moria. place. Hold on, let me guess. Is it in the Undying Lands? No. Oh, okay. It's in know. Numenor. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was I thought that was cool. Yeah, that's fact. That's cool. So there's some under the ocean somewhere, somewhere, but... Uh, for basically everyone on Middle Earth is concerned, it, the only place you can find it is in Moria. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So Frodo is so they're they're camping for the night in this in the Great Hall. 
uh, and Frodo's on guard. And this is whenever he sees, uh, it says he fancied that he could see two pale points of light, almost like luminous eyes. Um, and then he kind of, it says he started and his head had nodded and he's like, well, he thinks he might have been dreaming or he was asleep. He's not really sure. And then he gets, uh, Legolas comes and takes over the guard and then Frodo starts to kind of fall asleep. And again, he sees, he seems to see uh, those two pale points of light kind of approaching him. Uh, and then all of a sudden he wakes up. So that part probably was a dream, but I think he really did see, you know, the two eyes, which we assume is Gollum at this point. Um, and when he wakes up, there's actually light. There's a dim light on his face. So earlier in the chapter, Gandalf tells them that this hall had essentially like really, really tall skylights, right? Yeah. So there's some shaft of, uh, in the mountains that allows the, right. the sunlight to come through. So they wake up the next morning and actually, there's actually sunlight in there a little bit. Um, and so Gandalf, his suspicions were confirmed. He knows, he's right. pretty sure he knows where they are. Uh, they're high up on the east side of Moria. So they're, they're, most of their journey is done, it seems like, in Moria. Um, they've made it most of the way to where they're supposed to be. Um, and then <clears throat> Gimli says, uh, Gimli here uh, kind of specifies, we have found no sign of my kindred. And he says, I doubt uh, now that uh, Balan ever came here. Right. So he's thinking, okay, they never they never even made it here, yeah. right? There's no way. Turns out it's not be the case. Um, so in the middle of this, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is in the middle of the giant hall. They don't go into a different area, do I they? I thought it was in a different spot. Do they go into a different spot? Maybe I was, just, in the film, maybe I was just picturing the film In the film, it, that's what happens. But um, I think this is kind of all in the same... Oh, never mind. I take that back. So the company passed through the northern arch, and yeah. so they're going that okay. direction. Right. Okay. Glad we specified. Uh, so they come upon uh, uh, this area of light. So the, I think they, they nail this in the film, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, it says, uh, the light of the shaft fell directly uh, on a table in the middle of a room. A single oblong block about two feet high, upon which was laid a great slab of white stone. Um, it looks like a tomb, muttered Frodo. Uh, and so they come up to this thing that looks like a tomb, and uh, on the slab, runes were uh, deeply graven. And there's a there's a picture, actually, drawn by, I guess, Tolkien, of the runes that are written on this stone slab. Uh, and Gandalf says that these are uh, runes that they used in Old Moria. So it's it's some kind of older language, I guess. Uh, but here it is written in the tongues of men and dwarves. Balin, son of Fundin, lord of Moria. Uh, he is dead then, said Frodo. I feared it was so. And then it says Gimli cast his hood over his face. So he's kind of mourning the death of, of Balin. So at this point, he knows that Balin did make it here and obviously didn't go well because he died. Right. And that's the end of the chapter. Right. I want to point out that when they step into this place, it, they note that they're like stepping over some some yeah, some things. I should have brought that up that because they don't, I um, assume that was bodies. It says their feet disturbed a deep dust upon the floor and stumbled among things lying in the doorway whose shapes they could not at first make out. Yeah. Which I think those are probably bodies, yeah, right? That's yeah. what I'm assuming. Yeah. So we don't know what's happened yet. The, the chapter ends right there. Um... The next chapter is called The Bridge of Khazad-dûm, um, which if you've seen the film, you know what happens there. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous that you have this chapter. 
but that's okay. I am too. And you know what I just noticed? What? That chapter is... Really short. It's ten pages long. Wow. Huh. That's right, so well, very unlike Tolkien, I feel like. That, that'll that be a um, chapter that we can... Especially with what we know is about to come yeah, up. Yeah, we, we can jump into some lore if you want there. We've got sure. some time. And then, the, so that was chapter five is The Bridge of Khazad-dûm, and chapter six is titled Lothlorien, which... Uh, is a big chapter for me because I don't know. I think I, I did tell you this. The spine of my book is broken and it's, it always falls open to a certain spot. And once I get done with this chapter, I'll be past that point. So it's a lot easier for me to read without it. Falling That'll be nice for you. It'll be really nice. For I'm me, excited. Just as a, yeah. I'm excited about it too. Um, um, so is there anything else you want to, I want to bring up one more thing, please. Um, is this the thing that you were talking about earlier that I think I know you're going to talk about? I don't even know what that is. Okay, say what you're going to say. <laughs> um, when they're talking about the uh, Mithril and Gandalf's talking about, he's like, I know Bilbo has this um, Mithril chainmail mm -hmm. chain that he has. Uh, it's worth, you know, he says it's worth more than the Shire and everything in it. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, I don't think Bilbo knows how much it's worth. And then Frodo oh, yeah. is like, Frodo's, Frodo felt know. no doubt that Bilbo knew quite well how much it was worth. Yeah. So that was my second, the second half of my um, feeling like that Bilbo uh, is nearing the end. He's yeah. willing to he's give away, away his belongings. This thing that's obviously priceless yeah. to Frodo. Yeah. Good point. That's what people do at the end of their lives. So the thing I was going to say that I thought you were talking about earlier was something we had talked about, I think, in maybe chapter one or chapter two. I want to two. talk about it next episode. Okay. <laughs> is, is what you want to talk about the thing that I think you want to talk about? Well, I don't know, but... Is it, it about Tolkien's writing of yes, the book? Okay. Yes. I want to talk about it next episode. All right. We'll talk about it next episode. All right. There's a cliffhanger there for you, folks. <laughs> Tune in next week or... Whenever we record our next episode, which should be next weekend. It'll be next weekend. Okay. Probably. Tune in next weekend to hear us discuss the vague thing that we were just talking about. Uh, that's all, folks. Bye-bye.